Our second lesson today comes from the gospel according to Matthew. I'm reading from chapter 6, verse 1, and then picking up at verse 5 down to verse 15. We keep our hearts open and listening and attentive to God's word. These are words of Jesus. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." This is the word of the Lord. So as we find ourselves on this first Sunday of Lent, a season when we're striving for renewal and recommitment and refreshment in the ways of following Jesus, today's sermon emerges from requests from several members, members who ask me to preach on maintaining Faithful, disciplined, devotional life, especially amidst the life that gets so crazy and hectic and frenzied. So in answer to the question, what area of Christian life do do you wrestle with the most? Here's how one member put it. I long for more time to think, to pray and read so that my faith is nurtured. Another member said she has real trouble and frustration, quote, finding time for enhancing spiritual life on a daily basis. Alec, will you please offer some simple, simple, meaningful things that we could do? Let me tell you about my devotional life. My father, as some of you know, Uh, spent his whole life as a Bible professor, a pastor, one of our denomination's executives, and he retired as a presbytery executive. So he knew a little bit about church, and he knew a little bit about ministry. When I was ordained more than 25 years ago, I asked my father to do the charge to the minister, which comes as a part of the ordination service. So his charge to me was simple and clear. He said, as a pastor, preaching and teaching and offering pastoral care, you will often find yourself reading the Bible, reading other things that you'll be teaching on. You'll find yourself preparing sermons, and you'll often find yourself praying with and for members of your church. 
But then he said to me, if you only read the Bible to prepare for your sermons, and if you only read to prepare for your teaching, and if you only pray with and for people in your church, your ministry will come up short. He charged me in this way. Be sure that you also read the Bible and read other writings and pray in moments and in ways that nourish your own faith. Your life and your ministry will be most effective as you nurture your own devotional life. Your life and your ministry will be most effective as you deepen your own connections to God. He challenged me sincerely to nourish my own spiritual life. Father knows best, right? So for all the years of my ministry, I have maintained close to my desk in my study an open Bible and a slew of devotional books that I have collected across all the years. And I try to spend some time each day reading passages of Scripture and doing other devotional reading that is not related to my preaching or teaching or my pastoral care. A number of daily devotional books have fed my faith, books by people like Frederick Beekner, daily devotions by Henry Nouwen, people like Philip Yancey, John Bailey from Scotland, Eugene Peterson more recently. These and others I have collected and have given attention to hopefully every day, seeking to have my life and my ministry enriched but mostly that deep personal connection to God. I also belong to a group called the Company of Pastors, which is an organization that stretches across the Presbyterian Church. And I'm a member, uh, a mentor in the Company of New Pastors. Both of these groups, both of these Company of Pastor and Company of New Pastors, pledge to read the Bible every day, certain passages, and pray certain prayers every day that come from the Presbyterian's book, Daily Prayer. In fact, there is a new and wonderful app that I have downloaded to my iPhone that brings these daily passages quite close to me and to my life. It has a morning psalm. It has other scripture readings for that day. And it has thoughtful and reflective prayers and concluding words for every day. And it's available to anyone who wants it, this particular app. This has all been most helpful to me. In addition uh, to, these, to this uh, exercise, I also continue with daily devotions and even explore websites like d365.org, which I know some of you visit, which gives you a daily devotion right on your computer. And all of this is my attempt to move from frenzy to faith, my attempt to move from the wandering pressures of life to a more worshipful life, my attempt to find uh, some, some compassion and some sinner out of the chaos that can become my life. All of this is my attempt to be devotional and intentional at nourishing, nourishing my life. Now let me tell you about my most recent week. 
Some of you know that I've been deeply involved uh, as a representative from our presbytery, uh, involved in the situation at New Hanover Presbyterian Church in Mechanicsville, which has been in the news this week. Many in that church, including all of the session and both of their associate pastors, have decided to leave and form a uh, another church in another denomination. This group has long had frustrations with the PCUSA and has felt God's Spirit leading them to another place, away from the fellowship of the Presbytery of the James and away from the PCUSA. Yet, many in the church have not wanted to leave, have disagreed with the session, and have expressed their desire to stay in the PCUSA And this makes for some complications. (laughs) The short story is that a large number are indeed leaving and a continuing group is staying. All of this after a year of conversations, a year of my involvement, a year of negotiations, indeed a year of frustrations transpired this particular week under the leadership of the Administrative Commission of the Presbytery, of which I am one of six members. We spent most of the week uh, involved with conversations with or about that situation, and I would say at least 20 or 25 hours of my life was involved in this on the recent week. And as you might guess, we have a few other things carrying on at Second Presbyterian Church like Ash Wednesday and a funeral, a presbytery meeting, budget meetings, uh, people in the hospital, a presbytery meeting on Saturday, another funeral on Saturday, and life continues on in ministry here for me too. So when life gets full of frenzy, uh, like it did for me this week, devotional life can suffer. And this is where I resonate with many of you. When life is full of frenzy, what are the things that we can do to continue to nourish and maintain a sense of devotional life that connects us with God? How do we ever feed our faith? And quite frankly, maybe there's a larger question. Perhaps life is often too hectic for all of us all the time. You know, life seems too full of many things all the time. There are jobs, there are pressures, there are duties, there are obligations, there are commitments, there are engagements. We all know about it. And then there's our devotional life that tends to fall by the wayside. We have kids and we have parents that we're worried about, perhaps. We have heartaches and worries that come our way. From any direction, we have challenges. We have changes in our lives all around us. We have jobs. We have pressures. We have constant phone and email to tend to. How do we ever find time to nourish our souls? How do we ever find time to deepen our connections to God? These are real challenges for all of us. Today's scripture passage, where Jesus speaks most directly about prayer, comes right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's been teaching them about the emerging reign of God 
that is coming in him, in his presence, in his teaching, in his healing, in his person. The reign of God is emerging. And he shares with the disciples in the Beatitudes how this reign of God actually looks. The poor receive the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, they'll be comforted. The meek, well, they inherit the earth. The merciful, indeed, they receive mercy. The peacemakers, they are called children of God. All of this is to say a new world order is emerging in Jesus, in his person, in his teaching, in his actions. He also teaches the disciples right in these same passages about how we are to relate to each other. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Do not be angry. In fact, forgive and keep forgiving and care for each other. And it's right in the middle of this teaching that he turns and talks about prayer. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen. Do not be like the hypocrites, he says in chapter 6, who love to stand and pray in order to make a good impression. Do not heap up empty phrases. Do not do it for show. God is not impressed, he's saying. Instead, Jesus offers simple and clear counsel about how to pray and how to be, even teaching the Lord's Prayer right in these verses. And the point is, not so much in the details of how, but in the important connections to God. The point is, not so much in learning the specifics, but in learning the centrality of the relationship that we are to have with God in this emerging reign of God's kingdom. Jesus is urging us that we not get so caught up in the what or the how you say it. If that's our focus, we're likely to get off track. He's urging that we understand that our very lives are related to God. That's the why of prayer. And that we live out our lives nurturing that connection. Sincere prayer, attention to God's daily presence in our lives, frames everything about us. And that's how disciples live. It's as if Jesus knows about how chaotic and frantic our lives can become. Life is meant to be rooted in this sincere relationship with God. It gives foundation to everything. It sets the tone for everything. In talking about prayer, here's what theologian and spiritual writer Thomas Merton says, and I quote, Prayer is not just a formula of words. It's not a series of desires just springing from the heart. It is the orientation of our whole body, mind, and spirit to God. In silence, in attention, in adoration. It is the conversion of ourselves to God. It's a gradual and an increasing paying of attention to the fact that our lives are lived before God and with God and in God's presence. 
See, Jesus keeps stressing this over and over. This is what really matters. We may find ourselves going in lots of directions. We may feel perplexed and fatigued, swept up in work or issues or duties or challenges. But our devotional life, when we can give it some attention, when we can make it a priority, seek to truly live life in God's presence, paying attention to God, then life has a deeper, deeper focus and a broader, broader reach. So how in the world do we do that? How do we do that, especially with all the trappings and duties and racing and going and frenzy and frantic things that shape our lives? First, Maybe we could consider what might be most beneficial for each of our lives. What is most appropriate for you and helpful to you? What time of day is it? Is it the beginning of the day, maybe? Or a mealtime? Does that work better? It's up to you to figure this out. Would it be when you first arrive at some place that you often go, like your desk or your kitchen table or some other spot that's familiar, your room that is fairly routine, and as Jesus says, find a quiet spot, be by yourself and open your heart and open your life to God. Where might that take place in your life? It may be for one minute, And then two at first. It might be for 10 minutes or 12 minutes. It might be even 30 minutes if you can do that. Or it may be sometime at the end of the day. It may be after supper or before bed. It may be when your children are finally settled and before you turn on the TV or go on to your next thing. It may be that it works best if you do this with your spouse or your partner because that is what benefits you. We're all different. We all have needs and we have to figure out what works and let it become part of us, part of our life, linking our lives to God. It's not so much the how or the what, but it's crucial that our lives belong to God and our connections to God are so critical. Second, we might determine what works best for us in terms of a book, a daily reading, a certain app on our phone, a website like d365.org. Maybe it's the daily prayer book of the PCUSA or Something else, we have new devotional books available for Lent, which we try to keep out through all seasons, but perhaps that will help all of us. And you may need to try different things, as I've tried to do, figuring out what works best, some combination of readings and Bible and apps and more. And it might include writing, keeping a journal. It might include singing, singing to yourself. Singing with others. It might include memorizing short Bible verses or prayers that can shape and sustain 
you. It might be listening to a good sermon every day. I got a bunch of preacher friends who would love for you to go visit their websites. (laughs) The point is, the point is, we find our way. We find what works. The point is, we commit to it and try it for one minute, for one week, and let it grow and let it become part of who we are and what shapes us. We try it. We try to grow in it, and we seek to become more and more. See, the whole point is to be drawn into a unique and life-giving relationship with God that gives us foundation and gives us focus for all things. This relationship reminds us, especially when it feels like everything is falling apart, This relationship reminds us that God is Lord of heaven and earth and God knows us and God cares for us and God meets us where we are and God actually knows right where you are. This is how we get filled with that. This relationship then shapes us and forms our living. We find ourselves bending. We find ourselves aligning with this emerging reign of God that Jesus intends to bring to the whole world, the coming of God's reign. It reminds us what's important and reminds us what's imperative as God's people. We realize that indeed we belong to God, whether we live or whether we die whether we're suffering or celebrating, we belong to God. And indeed, nothing can separate us from God's love. Our devotional life intends to help us, shape us, mold us as God's people. When I was in my first church, I went to visit a lady in the hospital. She was facing major surgery. She had never had surgery before. I walked into the room She was nervous. In fact, she was crying. She asked me to pray. I prayed. Beside her hospital bed was a stack of magazines. Things like People, Hollywood Review, all kinds of things. Nothing against those magazines. But it struck me, there's not a calorie in that stack that's going to help her in what she's facing. She had nothing, it seemed, no reservoir to dip into and find some strength and hope and help. No word, no phrase, no memory to sustain her. It was all about her fears and her tears. Not too long after that, I went to visit another lady in the hospital, same hospital. This was a lady who was there with her husband, an elderly couple in my church. They had determined that the woman had a major blockage and she needed immediate surgery. The doctor told the couple that there were going to be serious risk with this surgery because of her age and her state and she might not survive this surgery. She said she wanted to go through with it. Her husband agreed. So there we were in the hallway of the hospital. She was on the gurney. Her husband was there and I was there. We prayed. After the prayer, the husband looked down at his wife and he said, are you going to be all right? She said to him, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of what shall I be afraid? 
She was quoting the first verses of Psalm 27. Off she went to surgery. She didn't survive the surgery. But those words, her last words to her husband, sustained him all the rest of his days. And those words didn't come from a quick reading. It came from a long and faithful life of nurturing her sense of connectedness to God, her life as one of God's people. It was like the psalm says today. Her roots were deep by the stream and her life like a tree was bearing fruit even when the seasons were tough. She was sustained by her faithful, devotional life, a gift from God, the result of her long years of commitment to that task. May we be all people who have deep roots that run deep into the streams so that our lives are full of fruit in good season and bad seasons. And we become more and more the kind of people God calls all of us to be. People who belong to God. People who live with and for God. And people for whom nothing can ever separate us from God. All glory and honor, thanks and praise be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, you are light. You are love. You are ever-present. You are our hope. Show us your way, for we seek to live in it following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.